MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, December 9th, 2019. Today, a second impeachment hearing in the House. Will the White House participate in impeachment hearings? No. And we're busting impeachment myths. I'm your host, AG. I am here recording this uh, by myself, getting ready to go on vacation, and wanted to give you a couple of interviews I had today. Um, Two con law experts, uh, constitutional law experts joining us, including Yale grad and Fordham University professor Jed Sugarman and University of Michigan law professor, expert on the presidency and author Brian Kalt. We're going to talk about whether an impeached president can run for office, an impeached or removed president can run for office, or be pardoned, because there's a lot of confusion out there. So I brought in the experts to clear things up. First, I'd like to get you to the headlines, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. On Monday, the House Judiciary will hold another impeachment hearing where the Intel Committee lawyers will present their impeachment report. There was actually three committees involved in that two-month-long investigation into the Ukraine scandal, the, the bribery scheme. And that was, I think, Foreign Affairs, Intel, and Oversight. And we're told that the judiciary will also present their findings uh, in their investigation uh, that, you know, that's umbrellaed under the impeachment inquiry. And that, I think, is going to have something to do with the Mueller investigation, um, the obstruction, Trump's obstruction of the Mueller investigation. And right now, there are a couple of Democrats, moderate Democrats in the House who oppose adding uh, the obstruction, the Mueller obstruction elements to the articles of impeachment. And then we also have Justin Amash, who has said he would vote yes on at least three of the articles, although they haven't seen the articles yet. And they are being very careful about not telling us what their calendar and timeline looks like. Um, another news, Trump has filed his request for a stay in the Deutsche Bank case with SCOTUS. Uh, and it was up to RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to decide if she wanted to grant a temporary administrative stay while the Supreme Court considered a full stay pending appeal. She did grant that administrative stay and put an expiration date on it of December 13th at 5 p.m. That is the same day that they are scheduled to hold conference to you know, look over uh, the cases that they have uh, pending. And so far, we know that the Cy Vance uh, Mazars Manhattan District Attorney case is on that schedule to be looked at and uh, to, to see if they're going to grant cert. And then also that House Oversight Mazars case could be reviewed at, on that day as well. So that's going to be a big day. And the seven-day stay in the Deutsche Bank case that was issued by the Court of, Expe- uh, Court of Appeals was going to expire today, Monday, December 9th. Uh, but um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg ruled on Friday to grant that administrative stay. She's moving this along very expeditiously. Uh, I think, you know, I, I had said I thought she would grant the administrative stay in the case, and she did. So there we have it. And there's a lot of different ways this could go. Um, on December 13th, they could grant cert in the Mazars oversight and Vance Mazars case and grant a stay 
in the Deutsche Bank case and then set like a rapid schedule. I, I, I don't have any reason to believe they would set a slow schedule because of the, you know, the deadlines, these fast deadlines they've been putting on, on these cases. That's probably how it will go. But she could or the, they could decide, the Supreme Court could decide not to grant a stay in the Deutsche Bank case and not to grant cert in the two Mazars cases, or it could be any combo of those three things, or they might not uh, consider any of them and wait and hold off until January 10th. But that seems unlikely since she set that deadline in the Deutsche Bank case for December 13th, which just happens to be the day that they're in conference. So we will know more December 13th, if not Monday. Sometimes they don't announce until Monday, December 16th. Um, They don't announce until the Monday after the Friday, but we'll know by December 16th. We'll have a little bit better picture of when we could get these materials. He Trump is running out of options. Uh, also, Friday, the White House wrote a nasty letter to Congress saying they're going to boycott the impeachment hearings. Um, Nadler had written a letter to Pat Cipollone who, and, and said, hey, you have until December 1st to decide if you want to participate in this hearing, which was the one that we saw on, uh, you know, during this week where they had the the scholars and and Professor Carlin and her associates. And that was a really, I thought that was an interesting hearing. But we went over that in earlier episodes this week of the Daily Beans. Um, And of course, the White House refused to to participate in that saying it was a hoax. It was a sham. It was stupid and unfair. And we don't like the process. And then they had until the White House had until December 6th, Friday, to decide if they wanted to participate in any of the future judiciary impeachment hearings. And Pat Cipollone wrote a mean letter, which whatever, saying, you know, your your shit's a scam. It's I don't agree with it. We're not participating. You uh, robbed us of due process. It's just really interesting that he wrote a letter complaining about being robbed of due process while denying their ability to show up and participate. So that's um, what they did. And it's probably for the best, because I think Trump's probably going to be controlling the Senate trial from behind the scenes. And I know his lawyers do not want him to testify. And so uh, at least in the House uh, and probably certainly not in the Senate either. So we'll see how it goes. Um, We'll see what the timeline is. Uh, Let's see. Trump also filed appeal in the Mazar's House oversight case. We were just talking about that. We're still waiting to hear on that. And for a thorough update on all the major cases that are working their way through the courts, check out the Mueller She Wrote episode from yesterday, December 8th, Sunday, in the interview segment. We've got a a great interview with Uncle Blazer, and we go over uh, all the cases and and where they stand. Um, Like I said, I've talked about the impeachment and wanting to wait a moment, but it appears the House is moving forward with drafting articles of impeachment. Again, no one in the House is giving away any kind of calendar or timeline. They're keeping their cards very close to their chest. So we will see how it plays out. And I, I will say this, that while I've said I would like it to just at least wait a second <laughs> to see if we're going to be able to get, you know, some of these Mueller grand jury materials or the McGahn testimony, um, which then the McGahn testimony hearing is going to be on January 3rd. That's still in the Court of Appeals, though. That hasn't gone to SCOTUS yet. Uh, I, I just want to wait and see if we can get some of the tax documents and financials since Mueller was uh, not allowed to look into those things. Um, so that's pretty much the headlines. That's sort of where we're at today. Uh, at least as of Friday before I leave town. And now we're going to uh, talk to some experts. Um, As soon as uh, we're back from this break, we'll have Judge Sugarman on here to talk about some impeachment myths. So stick around. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and I want to tell you about my new favorite bra. I'm absolutely obsessed. It's a woman-owned company called Third Love. Half of all women fall between cup sizes, including myself, so it was virtually impossible for me to find a bra off the rack that fit correctly until I found Third Love. Third Love is the industry leader with 80 different sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes. And with Third Love, I was able to find my perfect fit because they use millions of real women's measurements to take into account both cup size and shape for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. Third Love makes finding the perfect fit easy. Just take their 60-second online fit finder quiz, order your bra, and try it on at home. There's no more driving to the mall, no more looking for parking, than being frustrated in a dressing room trying on bra after bra that doesn't fit right. With Third Love, uh, they have fit stylists available uh, via chat to help every day, or text, or by phone. And millions of women have already taken the Fit Finder quiz and found their individual ideal bra. The best part is Third Love has the perfect fit promise. You have 60 days to wear it and wash it and put it to the test, and if it's not the perfect fit for you, you can return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a person in need. This is absolutely the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. My straps don't dig. I don't have an itchy tag. They're lightweight. They have super thin memory foam cups that mold to my shape. And those are patented, by the way, um, exclusive to Third Love. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash dailybeans to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash dailybeans for 15% off today. Joining us today is Fordham University constitutional law professor and author of the book, The People's Courts. Please welcome Jed Sugarman to the show. Thanks for being with us. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you. I've been trying to reach out to some con law experts, constitutional law experts, to ask them to help me with some impeachment myths. Uh, And back in March 2018 or so, when we were all asking about Trump being able to pardon his way out of the Mueller investigation. You penned a piece for the Washington Post with Ethan Lieb called the overlooked part of the Constitution that could stop Trump from abusing his pardon power, which which says the Constitution actually imposes limits on a president's ability to grant pardons if if they're issued for purposes of self-preservation. Can you tell us about that bit in the Constitution? Yeah, great. It's actually been, there are two parts of the Constitution that have been overlooked or misinterpreted in, in the opposite direction that they that they should have been. So one is the president's oath um, that the president will faithfully execute the office, um, and the other is the uh, is what's often called the take care clause that the president shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Um, one might actually want to call that the faithful execution clause. Uh, and and uh, scholars and judges have often interpreted that cl- those clauses to go uh, and, and increase presidential power. Um, they've been cited for the power of the president to, to remove or fire officers, even though the Constitution is silent about all that. Well, so we dug into the history and found out that it's not just sort of vague, 18, you know, vague religious language. Um, uh, it, it's not just invoking, oh, just think about God. Um, it actually is legal language. Oh, I'm sorry. So they put something in the Constitution that is important? <laughs> yes, they did. And they knew what they were doing um, and from centuries. And so if, we're, if we want to take the originalism uh, of, of looking at what the founders understood the words meant in their time, we should look at how those words were used in their time. And so for about 500, 600 years, uh, my co-authors, Andrew Kent, and you mentioned Ethan Lieb, and I, we, we dug back and found that back to the Magna Carta, uh, the um, English Parliament at used the words faithful execution to limit mid-level officers or upper-level officers to limit their discretion 
exception to make sure that they stayed within uh, statutory authorization. But here's the key thing, also to make sure that they didn't use their offices to benefit themselves corruptly, uh, to self-deal. And that's the, that's the key here. Yeah, I was just going to say the originalism argument from, from most Republicans just sort of, I don't know, took a shit when Turley was testifying during the judiciary hearing. And it blew my mind because here is Carlin, Professor Carlin saying, look, if we're going to talk about originalism, we have to think about the word bribery as it was during the time of the drafting of, of, of these articles. And, and y'all are taking it to mean the federal criminal code, which, by the way, this meets the standards of. Uh, but even if we peel it back a minute and just look at it as for what it was back then and what they intended it to mean, you can read the Federalist Papers and ben, this what Trump did, Ben Franklin, that was Ben Franklin's argument for including an impeachment in the Constitution. And it was just it seemed to just go over everybody's head. I was flabbergasted by that. Well, that's definitely right. And it was, I thought, pretty stunning that uh, that Jonathan Turley held himself out to be a Madisonian. And he butchered, absolutely butchered, um, and, and upside down interpreted what Madison said. So I can go down that rabbit hole <laughs> if we want to. <laughs> but um, but I, I think that well, the key thing about originalism is, is taking the history seriously. Um, and I think we've seen too many people um, just basically twist the history um, um, and mis- deliberately misinterpret the history uh, to to achieve whatever they want. And so this, I'm not saying that the people who looked at the faithful execution language were purposely misreading it. I think that if you just look at it without the history, you might say, oh, well, this is about the president just let, you know, give the president discretion to act on his own sense of his own faith. Um, and that's, but that's not what it meant historically. So bringing this back to pardons, the idea is, that the president's pardon power has to be used in uh, public interest and not the personal interest. And so if the president, not only this, this is not only an argument that self-pardons are not valid, it's also an argument that a president using a pardon to, uh, to um, dangle them for, uh, for his co-conspirators to keep them quiet, that is a kind of bribery. But moreover, if he, if he issues pardons to people like Giuliani or Roger Stone, those pardons are, should be treated invalid by future courts. If a future prosecutor tries to then indict Stone, uh, then those pardons should be disregarded as faithless execution of the office. Uh, but do you think that's uh, – and, and honestly, I'm just going by the way the mainstream media frames the, the, the power that the president has to pardon people because, you know, the, the, a lot of – Talking heads, pundits, some call themselves constitutional law experts or even, you know, just legal experts are saying that, hey, look, you can't uh, fuck with Trump's pardon powers. It's his it's his power. He has it. He can use it uh, indiscriminately. It's pretty broad. But what you're saying is, no, that isn't the case. And let's say he pardoned Manafort, for example, um, you know, in exchange for. And, but, you know, let's say we couldn't prove because uh, I know intent is hard to prove or we didn't have any documentary evidence that that was in exchange for or a bribe for him blowing up his plea agreement. Uh, how would we go about that? Or is it just sort of vague and no precedent? Well, people can be pretty selective about when you want certain burdens of proof to prove this or certain burdens of proof to prove that. I, I don't think it, I don't think the Constitution, just because the Constitution uses um, unclear language or open-ended language from time to time doesn't mean that it's impossible to then prove something. So, so let me give you an example. It is a, it is an error. It is just a basic legal error when people say that the pardon power is 
unchecked. The, the president has absolute pardon power. In fact, you know, Justice O'Connor, you know, no flaming liberal, um, she said that the Equal Protection Clause limits the, and this is in a concurrence, she said, you know, if, a, if the president flipped a coin or just, you know, drew numbers out of lots to, to give out random pardons to people, um, that could be a violation of, of the Equal Protection Clause. Um, if, if a president decided to, you know, let's say pardon all women um, or pardon all white people, um, those would be violations of another part of the Constitution. So our argument is just like the Constitution restricts all kinds of powers, right? Uh, the presidential powers, Congress, just because Congress has a certain power in commerce doesn't mean that, the, uh, that, that, uh, that Congress can do things that violate other parts of the Constitution. Um, this idea of faithfulness uh, I think it's pretty clear when it's when a president is pardoning his co-conspirators when he when there is not just um, implicit but there's explicit uh, references. Um, you know, the Mueller report looks at the at the, um, the the dangling of pardons as a kind of obstruction. That evidence could be brought in to say this was corrupt use of the pardon power. Yeah, to me that's almost federal criminal statute with bribery and, you know, along the lines of witness tampering, uh, that kind of thing. But again, intent is, I hate intent. Um, it seems so obvious to us, right? It seems so obvious to us that this is completely corrupt. But to, to prove it criminally is one thing. To prove it impeachmently is a totally different show. I think that's right. But I also think that, you know, there might be a different standard when we're trying to prove uh, tr prove a crime versus when we're trying to um, decide whether a pardon is valid or not, right? Because it's not, it's, it's not using, my argument, our argument isn't that we're talking about whether uh, Trump or others should be convicted of bribery in the dangly of pardons, but I think that's actually, you know, uh, more provable. Um, but I think if there's a legal question about whether a pardon is corrupt, that's not the same thing as, as putting someone in jail directly. It's a procedural step. So it's, it's not just because it, it might be part of a criminal investigation, that's not the key step. It's not saying we're going to convict Trump uh, for a crime of misuse of pardon power. That's, this is more of a civil constitutional argument. When Manafort goes into court and, he, and the prosecutor in, 20, let's say, 2022, who, let's say, brings charges against Giuliani or even Trump himself, and Trump, let's say Trump has, a, has, has pardoned himself, they can go into court and say, this isn't an element of the crime. Uh, Trump or Giuliani, they bring in a, a, the piece of paper that has the word pardon on it, and a court can, can ask as a civil question, um, is that pardon valid? And that's a, that's a first step before you get to any of the questions of a criminal prosecution. I see, because that's what makes the intent in a criminal prosecution so hard to, to get, is because you have to prove that you can obtain and maintain a conviction, and you don't have to do that when using it as a procedural step, kind of like how you don't have to do that when you want to call Trump an unindicted co-conspirator, individual one, in a campaign finance violation like with Cohen. That, that's basically right. That's basic. Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. Um, but there's another key step I just want to talk just for a minute about, which is that the other see, no court has ever adopted our interpretation. So so I'm not <laughs> saying that and especially not once you once you uh, start appointing a bunch of justices uh, who are a little bit um, co who conveniently use originalism one way or the other. Um, we're hoping that we you know argument might persuade more of them by by looking at the history seriously. But I think the other clear step that should happen 
is New York State prosecutors uh, can, can make it clear that um, pardons aren't going to save these co-conspirators. So the pardon power only affects uh, federal crimes. Yeah, and I, and I was, I was going to ask you about that because recently you tweeted about our buddy Sundland who had you know, recently testified. I think you actually tweeted the day before he testified and said, now, if he lies, there's some other things that we have to consider here, which was very prescient of you because he lied his ass off, um, particularly in, in fabricating a September 9th call with Trump that never occurred. Um, now, what you were saying in that is, you know, if he lies and hopes for a pardon, um, that that doesn't affect state law. And we know that state, you know, state crimes are not pardonable, but how how would... What sort of state laws would, would Sundland be subject to? Right. So anyone who participated in, the, uh, in this bribery, in the Ukraine conspiracy, um, we can frame what happened in that conspiracy in a number of, way, number of ways criminally. On the federal side, I think it's a combination of, clearly of, of a campaign finance crime, campaign finance felony. Um, but we've also, I think many people have explained how it clearly fits into the federal bribery statutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key thing on the state level, I've been looking at New York state law, and you can't use the bribery statute in New York State because the bribery, the New York bribery statute only applies to New York State officials or local officials. So that, that wouldn't be the hook. But it is under New York law extortion. So it is extortion to, by unlawful means, um, use threats to gain, uh, to gain property or gain something of value. Um, and so there are all kinds of, there are several cases that show in New York uh, you can use extortion to get things like access to milk routes. It's not just getting money. It's, there are all kinds of intangible goods. And so the intangible, the, the kind of good that's not even intangible, that was they were looking for basically the president of Ukraine to cut a negative campaign ad for Trump or a negative campaign going after Biden. That's a pretty tangible thing they were looking for, just the announcement. Mm-hmm. So, my, uh, so the argument is that, that, that um, in New York conspiracy law, if you uh, advance the conspiracy in New York state, then New York has jurisdiction as long as it, the act is both criminal where it was intended to take place, and the act is criminal in New York. So it is. So the Ukraine conspiracy, in in which Giuliani and his Ukrainian friends and Sondland all participated in, um, it, as long as you're on a phone call with someone in New York, you don't have to be there. You just have to be on the phone with Giuliani, who is sitting there in New York City. Then all of those elements, you know, the, for element one, it's federally illegal. Element two, it's illegal in New York State as a matter of extortion, and element three, that it was advanced in New York State as, um, with one of those people by phone being in New York State. That means that um, the New York, New York prosecutors should indict, I mean, should actually go this next step and make it clear to all the co-conspirators that they're not safe from a pardon by making at least a step now of indicting Rudy Giuliani. Well, there are 26 pages of redacted material in the warrant for Lev Parnas. What do you want to bet Nunes, Sundland, and Giuliani, at least Giuliani, are mentioned in those 26 pages? And who'd, and who'd have thought, by the way, with your prescient tweet there, that we would have call logs showing Sundland on the phone with Giuliani? <laughs> 
And yeah, I, I wonder. It's, uh, that's the key thing: is where was Giuliani, right? And like you know, so if Giuliani was in New York, they all anyone who was on the phone with Giuliani related to this conspiracy should, uh, is facing criminal jeopardy in New York State and can't be saved by a pardon necessarily. Here's a weird legal question for you: What if the person you're on the phone with is a resident of New York and the phone is? in New York and the not the phone but you know the the account is in New York yeah I think that the that my re, my recollection of the statute says that the per, you actually have to be in New York but keep in mind how often Giuliani was traveling back and forth to New York he met Parnas and Fruman so many times in New York City um, and, and and then anyone who was talking to Fruman or Parnas when they were in New York City they all become uh, they all become subject to New York State jurisdiction for extortion now, what if it's a butt dial? Does your ass have mens rea, or <laughs> is it mea culpa for the butt? I don't, yeah, I don't you know. Can try. You can try. You can. You can indict the butt. <laughs> this is well, what we call in law. This is there's a there's a phrase in law we call butt for causation. You know, uh, uh, necessary causation. This would be a different kind of butt for causation that one has to prove. <laughs> it might end up in the taint file, honestly. Um, okay, so that's enough of butt jokes. But uh, I want to thank you very much. Um, you're a Yale grad, which means you're okay in the eyes of Louis Gohmert. Um, <laughs> Can you believe he said that? He's mama, don't let your babies grow up to go to Harvard Law School. And J- Chief Justice Roberts, who's going to preside over the Senate uh, <laughs> trial, went to Harvard. Among all the crazy <laughs> things that have been said in the last three years, that's not even the top one. I know. But yes, it is. It's ridiculous. I know. If it weren't for that speech and debate clause, we could probably gag Gomert. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Yale grad, con law expert, law professor at Fordham University, Jed Sugarman. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Daily Beans listeners, it's AG. The holidays are in full swing, and if you're like me, looking for a thoughtful, unique gift, you can seriously check out Society6. Society6 is the perfect place to find one-of-a-kind gifts while supporting a global creative community. Society6 is an online marketplace with a huge selection of products designed by independent artists and creators from around the world. From decor and home goods to bedding and furniture, you're sure to find the perfect gift for everyone on your list. I used to rack my brain to find the right gifts for my family. Some people are just so hard to shop with, but now I can go browse on Society6 and find affordable, unique art, and it's they make the perfect gifts. You can either get it, you know, some of the art you can get framed as a piece or printed on a wide array, a wide array of premium goods, from tapestries and t-shirts to phone cases and much more. You choose what you love, Society6 custom makes it to order and ships it to you directly. Last year, I must have been browsing the, the interwebs forever trying to find the right gift, but you go to Society6, browse for a little bit, look around, and you can find absolutely the perfect gift for everyone on your list. I am not kidding. It's just so amazing. And I've ordered a bunch of stuff from there just for myself, and I plan to do my holiday shopping there. And with Society6, you'll find amazing gifts for friends and family, while you're also empowering creativity across the world. And every purchase supports an independent artist, and I love that. I love supporting creators. So give thought and unique gifts this holiday season with Society6, you can get 30% off and free shipping when you use my code DAILYBEANS at s6.co slash pod. That's s6.co slash pod and use promo code DAILYBEANS at checkout. Society6, design your everyday with art you love. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining us now is Michigan State University law professor with a focus on the presidency and author of the book Unable, The Law, Politics, and Limits of Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. Please welcome Brian Kalt to our show. Brian, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it Kalt? Yes. 
Wonderful. Um, spent some time in Germany. Seemed right. <laughs> so I have, uh, we're doing like a Mythbusters here uh, this weekend because uh, I'm getting a lot of um, of our listeners and, and not just our listeners, but other people on social media who seem to think, and it might have stemmed from a Robert Reich article, that impeachment means you can't be pardoned and that you can't run again. So I just wanted to talk to you about those two uh, what I what you know, and I I'm not a law expert. I'm not a con law expert. I'm not uh, you know. I'm just a, a comedian with uh, half a brain. So I'm reading through these constitutional articles and I'm looking at a, a bunch of different opinions. And and it to me it doesn't seem like if you're impeached because we know that there's impeachment in the House and then removal in the Senate. So impeachment doesn't mean removal. But if you're impeached or impeached and removed, people think that you can't run again. But that's not quite the case, is it? No, it's it's not. And um, it, it's a little bit more complicated than just looking at the Constitution uh, might allow you to figure out. But I can I can tell you that um, the key there is the disqualification penalty. The Constitution says that if you're convicted, then you get removed from office. But it also says that the Senate can decide to disqualify you. Um, that's a separate vote that they do. Uh, so if you're impeached but not convicted, you're not disqualified from anything. Uh, Andrew Johnson was impeached and then later uh, elected to the Senate, so no, no problem there. Um, and then even if you are convicted, they, uh, the Senate would have to approve, separately approve that um, disqualification. And then even if they do that, uh, there's some debate as to whether disqualification applies to elected office or if it's just for appointed office. It definitely doesn't disqualify you from serving in Congress. It seems like nothing disqualifies you from serving in Congress. <laughs> right. If the, if the people uh, elect you, then then you're good to go. Uh, but but there are those who say even the presidency uh, doesn't, doesn't count uh, as what, what the Constitution calls an office under the United States of honor, uh, trust, or profit. Um, an office under the United States to uh, to some have looked at it as just um, an, an appointed office. So, so yeah, there's nothing nothing that would happen if he was impeached. Um, just just from the impeachment, and there are no consequences, legal constitutional consequences to that, other than that he goes to the Senate to be tried. Right, and this isn't just a vague interpretation or an opinion either. We had, I mean, recently as recently as 2010. Uh, I think Schiff and actually Turley were involved in impeaching a federal judge, and they actually uh, put that clause uh, on his conviction, saying you may not hold faith and trust in any elected position or any position in, in you know, in the future forever until you die, etc. So we've seen this. We've seen that clause be added and voted on. And, and that, to me, says it's not a default mechanism. It's not, and, and they, they usually don't even do it. Of, of all the people who have been impeached and convicted, uh, only three of them, I believe, have been um, disqualified on top of that. So it might not be politically the smartest thing to run again if you're impeached uh, or impeached and removed, but the, the, it doesn't seem that unless you have this very specific uh, clause that is voted on separately in the Senate during conviction, you're free to do it. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thank you for clearing that up. Myth number two. Uh, and this, I think, is what comes from that Robert Reich article that I was talking about, where it, it was, you know, and I actually read it, and, and I, 
you know, listen and follow Robert Reich, listen to and follow Robert Reich. So I I took it at face value where it says, you know, you you if you're impeached, you can't be pardoned. So a lot of people are thinking, hurry up, impeach him now so that if he resigns, so we can beat him to the resign punch, because if he resigns, then Pence won't be able to pardon him for his crimes. And I think they're referring to past criminal acts like his, you know, his individual one mention in the Cohen conspiracy to, you know, violate federal campaign finance charges and and things like that. But and and of course, obstruction of justice, which he could clearly be um, indicted for uh, with his at least five of the instances is the way that we read it in the Mueller report. So that's not true either, is it? It's not. And when I saw the Robert Reich column saying that, I think it was in The Guardian, I, I just cringed because this is this, he should know better than that. Uh, he, he went he went to a good law school. Um, the, the editors shouldn't just let people say stuff like that. It's it's totally not true. There's no one who has studied impeachment seriously, who's written about it, uh, who, who who would agree with that? It, it's just flat out wrong. So what what uh, what kind of pardons does impeachment prevent? Because you know the way that I'm seeing it, at least, is that if you're you're impeached and removed, you no longer have pardon powers, right? Well, right. If you're if you're not president anymore, then you can't pardon anyone. <laughs> uh, but what what the the pardon power uh, the clause in the Constitution says is the president has power to pardon. Uh, grant pardons, et cetera, uh, for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And so he's latching onto that except in cases of impeachment. That doesn't mean except if the president has been impeached. What it means is that the pardon power can apply to criminal offenses, your your uh, criminal trial, the consequences of a criminal conviction, but it doesn't apply to impeachment cases. So the president can't use his pardon power to prevent the House from impeaching someone or to undo the conviction if the Senate convicts someone. What what it's saying is that the impeachment process is just separate from the criminal justice process and the pardon power only applies to the latter, to the criminal justice process. That's all it means. And the history on this is crystal clear. We know exactly what they meant when they were writing it. We know where they got it from the English precedent. We know what they thought it meant. It's, It's just crystal clear. It doesn't say anything about what happens to the president when he's impeached. If the president's impeached and he's put on trial, he can pardon anyone he wants during that whole process right up until and unless that 67th vote is cast and they convict him. And if, and if, he, and if he's, I should say, and if he's impeached uh, and convicted and removed, if the next president wants to pardon him for whatever the next president wants to pardon him for, he can do that. And and again, it wouldn't affect the impeachment and removal, but it would affect whatever federal criminal uh, consequences were facing the, the former president. Right. So like Pence couldn't pardon him from impeachment and bring him back in. Um, I mean, that seems like it would be obvious. Now, if he's if he's only impeached and not removed, can Trump then pardon someone else who's being impeached like let's say trump's impeached senate acquits trump is still president we try to impeach Barr. can trump pardon him from that no um the trump can't pardon anyone out of an impeachment um and 
there's there's it's just it's just separate. So if Barr was facing prosecution, federal prosecution, Trump could pardon him from that. But he can't do anything to stop the House from impeaching anybody, uh, whether it's Barr or, or anyone else. Um, separation of powers that, that the pow- <clears throat> the power to impeach is untouchable by the president. Okay, so as a practical matter, if Trump is impeached and not removed, he can still pardon criminals and and criminals can still pardon him. I'm just kidding. Pence could still pardon him uh, if he uh, for his past crimes if he resigns. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to make a lot of people sad, but I mean that's the re- <laughs> that's the reality of it and I just want to make sure everybody has the correct information um, because I mean I think it's very important you know a lot of people there seems to be two two trains here where there's a group of people who want him impeached before Christmas and there's a group of people who are say who might say hang back a bit and let's wait for the tax stuff and the Mueller stuff but in either case if you're for a fast impeachment it shouldn't be so that he can't be pardoned exactly cool we'll have to come up with that and there are other reasons that you know to to do a fast impeachment but that shouldn't be one of them so thank you so much for joining us today everybody check out the book unable the law politics and limits of section four of the 25th amendment which i'm going to have you back on to talk about 25th amendment because that's a whole other thing yeah there's some myths there's some myths to bust there too uh, if I if I could also put in a plug for my uh, my other book, my last one, uh, Constitutional Cliffhangers: A Legal Guide for Presidents and Their Enemies. Uh, there's some stuff in there about prosecuting sitting presidents and uh, impeachment and uh, other stuff in there too. Wonderful, thank you. Now you can get that where all, all books are available, I, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah, Amazon. It's uh, you know, it's all it's all still there. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michigan State University law professor, focus on the presidency author. Uh, just thank you so much for coming on and straightening that up for straightening that out for us. Brian Colt, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for giving me a day off. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much to to Brian Colt and, and Jed Sugarman for for coming on and explaining those things to us. I I really wasn't sure. I you know I thought I was you know just reading the Constitution and looking at some other folks' interpretation of it. But the thing is, is we haven't been through this kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, as we know, Nixon uh, left before he was impeached and Clinton didn't have a chance to run again after he was impeached and, and uh, nobody tried to pardon him because he wasn't removed. So and he didn't really commit any crimes uh, that I remember, although I'm sure he did. But regardless, uh, <laughs> I would just I really wanted to make sure because I, I know a lot of people were sort of under the impression that once you impeach a president, uh, he can't be pardoned. Um, for his crime. So I, I think people were thinking, let's rush to impeach. Let's make it happen. And not not that you're rushing because we have right now 100% solid evidence uh, of an impeachable offense. But if we hurry and do it now, then, you know, before he resigns, then Pence won't be able to pardon him. But we know that's not the case now, at least not for criminal past acts. You can't pardon a president for future acts. I do know that. Uh, but we know Trump will keep criming. <laughs> and uh, we definitely want him to be prosecutable after he leaves office, as Mueller testified on July 24th. So anyway, thank you so much again for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week. I will see you tomorrow. I'll be back in town. I'm going to go ahead and predict right now that the Browns will lose because that's who I'm going to go see play with my family. It's it's just the way it usually goes. Anyway, thanks so much. Uh, Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health. Take care of the planet. I've been AG and them's the beans.
The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>